0: My guest this week is Debbie Nunciata. Debbie is a psychologist out in Alberta. We have a great conversation. She gives us a lot of helpful, useful advice, so I hope you guys enjoy. Please check me out on Instagram, at NewerKidY. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Debbie Nunziata. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Debbie Nunziata. Thank you for joining me, Debbie. Thank you
1: for having me as a guest.
0: Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, So... You're a regular, uh, registered psychologist. Um, I know you talk a lot about mental health and a lot of these stuff I love uh, talking about on my podcast. So we're gonna have a great conversation. I'm looking forward to that. Um, maybe just give my audience just a little bit of your background uh, and, and anything you wanna toss in and to let my audience know a little bit more about yourself.
1: Sure, thanks very much. Well, um, as Nora said, I'm a registered psychologist and I work both for a school division in the province of Alberta, as well as I run a private practice. And I've been a psychologist for over 30 years. I actually started off as a teacher and then went back to university when I realized that many of the students that I worked with, as well as their families, um, had challenges around their mental health. So decided to go back and focus on social, emotional, and behavioral, learning and that sort of led me to becoming that's my background.
0: Yeah. All right I have I really like...
1: two grown-up kids so I have a lot of experience in parenting and uh, working with parents is actually one of the favorite things that I do in my job.
0: Okay so uh, I was thinking like working at a school division you would be mostly working with the kids but I guess parents are a big part of the job as well
1: Absolutely well I mean I do work with students and I do a lot of assessment in the schools. In my private practice I do counseling and a lot of parent coaching. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right that parents are the big part of it. You can't, we like to think that you can hand over the kids to a counsellor or a therapist and have us fix them, but it's not that easy. Um, We, I look at a person and environment model. And so it's super important for me to understand what that individual's environment is. And is there some ways that I can support that environment in order to help an individual?
0: Oh, wow. I honestly, you thinking that or just saying that I could see how difficult that could be, because like if they do come from like uh, toxic parents or environment, that's probably not an easy thing for you to influence, right?
1: Yeah, certainly the environment is more challenging. But I, as I said, I think if you're really looking at some meaningful outcomes, then you want to make sure that, that the environment, whether it's the classroom or the community or the family, Is where you put a lot of your focus. I mean if you look at something more broadly like addictions and we look at a very medical model in North America for treating addictions we bring somebody into treatment for 10 days or three weeks or six weeks and we do nothing to change the environment that they come from then we have recidivism right The, the addiction continues to occur because you can't there's many many factors why people struggle with their mental health And um, most often, they're environmental factors. And so you really need to see what can you do to advocate for and to to maybe um, help to support some subtle changes in the environment.
0: Mm -hmm. I think,
1: you know, when we think about uh, emotions, we often have heard the term emotional regulation. And so that's how we manage our feelings. But I um, and we often talk about yeah, self regulation so you have to learn how to self regulate but i actually like to use the term co-regulation because at the end of the day when we're managing our emotions we regulate together so if you in the middle of this podcast were about to have a temper tantrum on me that would raise my anxiety and i would be responding to your emotions we can we don't we don't live in a vacuum right we respond to our environment so the environment is super important in all the work that i do
0: all right. Uh, well, honestly, I don't do temper tantrums that often, but it might happen. It might happen. So I'll uh, keep that in mind. It's, uh, it's actually, that's a great uh, way to look at it, though, that the people around us, all of their emotions are always going to affect ours. Like, it is a great thing to learn to kind of understand that. Like, the, like when somebody has in having, like, maybe anxiety, sometimes that anxiety, I can feel it in myself starting to bubble up. So it is kind of sometimes nice to try to, uh, I don't know what the word is, to just kind of like distance yourself from it just to be like, okay, they're having anxiety and (laughs) I'm seeing that and like, kind of like look at that in myself to not allow it to bubble
1: up. Absolutely. And that's the key, right? So if one person in the triad or dyad can keep themselves calm and do exactly what you're talking about, step back and say, this isn't about me and I'm going to do what I can to stay grounded, then that, that helps the other person right? Because you are keeping calm, then that's going to, you know, if you look at energy or, or vibes, if you keep your a positive vibration, then that actually helps people who are in the midst of a more negative vibration. It helps bring them up. So yeah, you want to stay grounded exactly like you're talking about. And we're all human. I'm not saying, uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do, but if you can have that awareness, Nora, that you're, you're saying, then that goes a long way into just regulating.
0: No, I really like that. Um, All right. So, like, let's get into mental health, Debbie. Uh, Maybe you can tell my audience a little bit because we were talking beforehand and you were saying, like, even to to define mental health, that is like a big thing yourself to kind of do. So, like, uh, maybe when you talk about mental health, how, how do you describe it?
1: Yeah. So this isn't my description. I'm going to say this is description out of the mental health literacy program which is a program that's across Canada, was developed by Dr. Stan Kucher from Dalhousie University. And he's developed a very nice triangle that helps us understand what mental health is. So first of all, we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. And if you think about a triangle, on the bottom of the triangle, we can think about mental distress or no distress. So sometimes in our life, we have no distress. Maybe we're laying on a beach in Hawaii or we're having a really good night's sleep. But typically, the minute we wake up, we have some kind of mental distress, whether we've lost our keys, or we have an argument with a significant other, or we're late. Um, right away, we start the stress response in our brain can start to get activated at a certain level. And we just call that mental distress. Very normal happens to us all day long. And up the continuum, we have what would be considered a mental problem. And a mental health problem is something bigger like um, losing somebody you love, losing your job, uh, having financial difficulties, a breakup, all of those things are a little bit bigger than just the normal distress we have every day. And they can cause us to have a variety of emotions like sadness or worry or uh, frustration. And what happens is often when we have a mental health problem and we feel sad, we actually mislabel that sometimes as having an anxiety disorder. Talking about anxiety and depression is really common right now in just the day-to-day vernacular around mental health. And we wanna really distinguish that from a mental disorder. So at the top of the continuum is a mental disorder, which is a problem of the circuitry of your brain. It's highly genetic. It can definitely be influenced by mental health problems, but it's you can have a clinical depression and Have no distress and no problem happening in your life, and people will say to you, Why are you depressed?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't have anything to do with a problem, an actual disorder is a problem of the circuitry of the brain. So, we think about coming into the, our world with maybe a genetic predisposition to something, and often things in our environment can exacerbate it or trigger, um, you know, that particular disorder. But you have to have that, it, it's not, it's very different, and so. I think we want to be really careful um, that we don't confuse typical day-to-day emotions around uh, what's the events in our life with um, a mental disorder because they're quite different and that's where a good assessment is important and one of the reasons is it can inform intervention so many interventions in counseling are useful for both mental health problems and disorder so for example if you have an anxiety disorder the research says really clearly that cognitive behavior therapy is extremely useful for both problems and disorders, but medication is more useful at a disorder level. Okay. You don't medication, um, because you've broken up with your boyfriend and you feel really distraught, mm-hmm. right? You need to Work those other things that you can do. So the reason why we want to make sure we assess carefully as to what we're looking for is just to make sure that That we're informing our intervention in an appropriate way and I know you know a lot of people go on the internet now and they self-diagnose and so when people come in to see me one of the first things I ask them is so tell me what you've read already and what you've diagnosed yourself with
0: you
1: know it's a funny thing right now I have a lot of young people come in and say to me oh I've got BPD and I'm like borderline personality disorder, you want you want to diagnose yourself with borderline personality disorder. And it's often young girls and they'll say, oh, yeah, well, you know, when I get in a relationship with my boyfriend, I lose my sense of self and I don't know who I am. And I say, well, that's just being a teenager. That's 20-something. <laughs> <laughs> don't hang borderline personality disorder on you as a diagnosis. So I've got to pull out my DSM and I've got to talk to them about it, what it looks like. But we really self-diagnose too quickly instead of just saying, you know what, what's happening right now in life, in my life is kind of challenging and it's causing me some uncomfortable emotions. And I want to say uncomfortable emotions. I don't want to say that any emotion is bad or good because every emotion that we have is equally important. And we have this, you know, idea in life that we should be happy all the time and life doesn't work that way. All the whole range of emotions are super ex- important for us to experience, and I like to say to people just remember that all emotions are okay, emotions pass, and emotions don't kill you, so don't be afraid of your feelings.
0: hmm that's, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> I can also see the self diagnosis thing being an issue. I've definitely done that uh, with uh, WebMD. I'm like, oh, I guess I got Lyme disease now. <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> that's right. And people do the same thing with their mental health all the time.
0: True. So, um, so let's just say this now, like, so when we have anxiety or depression, but it's more of a temporary one that comes from a mental health uh, problem. So you're kind of yeah. saying like second rung. Because, yeah. So let's call
1: instead of calling it anxiety, let's call it worry. Worry. Calling it depression, let's call it sad or feelings of hopelessness. So it's better to name the feeling you're having and try to stay away from mental health labels like anxiety or depression.
0: Okay. Because when you say anxiety oh. and depression, that's when you guys are talking disorder. Yeah. I,
1: I like to use. I like to save that big words for the disorder.
0: Okay. How
1: to use emotion words for what are the feelings that we have that are uncomfortable? Sometimes in life,
0: and do you think using those words like worry or um, what was the other one? Not that being sad, sad.
1: depressed. Not depressed. You don't want to say to sad, hopeless, despondent.
0: Yeah. So using those words, are you saying it feels like it might give the people more control, maybe?
1: Yeah, it does, and it just normalizes it. Right?
0: Normalizes okay.
1: all feelings are okay, and it does not mean there's something wrong with you if for a couple weeks. You feel a lot of despair. You feel really, really down. If that matches what's happening in your life, then that's okay, right? It will pass. You will learn some skills to, to help this pass. But you don't want to say you don't want to say right away. I'm I am having a depression. Another one that people say all the time is I'm having a panic attack. Well, you know panic attacks are very serious, and you might have be really, really fearful about something, and your heart might be racing but that doesn't necessarily mean you're having a panic attack. So you just want to be careful with the vocabulary
0: that you use. Okay. Interesting. I probably definitely been guilty of using that kind of vocabulary. I'm not going to lie.
1: No, everybody does. That's why it's good to have this discussion.
0: No, I love that. Um, you know, I, I find it kind of funny. A lot of the stuff that you're talking about, especially like accepting emotions and not labeling anything as good and bad a lot of this comes from a lot of Eastern philosophy that I've studied over the years too. So I'm surprised to kind of see it like you're almost saying it the exact same way they did. Um like even like I remember back when I was in school taking like psychology classes and stuff, it seemed so much more clinical and stuff, but the way you're explaining it to me definitely vibes a lot more with me. Good. Let's talk about like choosing a therapist and stuff. I, I know a lot of my friends um I have friends who chose uh, to do therapy and they went and saw a therapist Mm -hmm. and a lot of them had like bad experiences and then they're done. They never went to a therapist again. But then I've had a couple of friends who had a bad experience, but they're like, no, let's try a different therapist. And then they found somebody that just worked perfectly and you could tell it had such positive like impacts on their life. So I I was just kind of wondering how, how do you like direct people or maybe just give advice to like choosing a proper therapist?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. And I I think an important one, because there's a lot of different people who put out their counseling shingle. So um, you want to be a very careful consumer of therapy, there's no doubt about it, there's definitely more, uh, there's more effective therapy out there and also ineffective therapy, and ineffective therapy can make you worse. And that's a problem. But at the end of the day, It is about fit so when you were talking about your friends who maybe didn't have a great first experience but the second therapist clicked click is a great word because that's you want to have somebody that um, that you have a feeling of that inspires hope in you that things can get better that you feel you are confident in their skills uh, that you can build a trusting relationship with that you have good rapport there's many kinds of modalities for therapy. And again, that's something that a person needs to explore. It's, it's good to understand what is the um, what is the education and experience of that therapist that you are looking at. So you wanna make sure you know that. And then what kind of modalities they use. And I think you want to be um, looking for a therapist who's very transparent. So for example, When I have a client who is seeking some um, counselling with me, I always give a free consultation at the beginning. And I tell them a little bit about what my experience is, but mostly about how I work. Because every therapist is individual. And um, many therapists are what we call sort of outcome-focused therapy. And so if you look at a place like the Calgary Counselling Centre, their model is very much um, using the work of Dr. Scott Miller, And that's that outcome-based therapy. So, you know, if you want, if you want, I say to people, if you want a therapist, who's just going to listen to you um, and be a sounding board for you, um, then I wouldn't be your therapist. I am looking to support change. And so as an outcome-based therapist, uh, we'll be setting some goals. And every single session, I'll be asking, you know, is there, how are we working towards our goal? are we getting close to what you want? How was the session for you? Are there some skills that you might be able to take forward? Something that I missed today. So I think you want to have a therapist that's not afraid to talk about what you want it to look like differently at the end of the day. To me, counseling and therapy is not just about coming in and shooting the shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Should be some change, right? And what is that change? But it's your change not the therapist change you again you want a counselor that's listening to your needs and hearing at what kinds of difference you hope that this intervention is going to make in your life so i think you when you're looking for a therapist it's like you know shopping around for a good family physician for shopping around for a good dentist you know what are their skills what's their experience um you know what kind of outcomes are you looking for And the very first sessions, you sort of click with them. Um, Yeah, so those would be something. I think the two big things are that relationship piece. Does it feel like a person that you're going to be able to establish a positive working relationship with? And B, thinking about your own needs and your own goals. Do you think that counsellor and their intervention style is going to be a fit for you for the goals that you have, right? So you have to be clear in your head when you go, what it is you're looking for in the first place.
0: I like how you're kind of like an outcome-based therapist. I really like that whole idea. I think for myself, like therapy, pretty much outcome-based is what I would want to do if I ever uh, went into it seriously, because...
1: Yeah, some people want, you know, some people just need somebody to listen to them. Okay. Um, You want to believe... The client always has the answers in themselves. I don't have the answer for you. You have the answers within yourself. And my job or a good therapist job is to just help to co-create those conditions with you that help you come to some answers for yourself. It's like a co-creation of that kind of environment that allows you to do the work that you need to do. Right, and maybe some skill building, maybe some ideas and support along the way, but that real belief that at the end of the day, you've got this.
0: Heck yeah, and uh, I think like the patient needs to have that belief or it needs to have that willingness to change, right? For your kind of method to be effective.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: mhm uh, at
1: the same time, you know, I'm quite. When you, that's a really good point because I am, you know, I will fire clients as well ha 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 ha. too much pressure on me to fix them and i'm doing all the work i'm going to say hey you know this isn't working from from my perspective either because i feel like i'm doing a lot of work and and you're not so
0: (laughs) oh damn that has to be a new low freaking getting fired from a therapist My
1: therapist canned
0: me. That's not good.
1: (laughs) I just gently suggest maybe somebody else.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess that's, uh, I think we need to see other people. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, All right. When we first met, uh, we talked a lot about different uh, exercises you get uh, uh, students to do to help control, uh, I was going to say anxiety, but maybe we'll talk about worry or like uh, more like Yeah, stuff that they can control with their mental health issues rather than disorders. Um, Can we maybe go through a couple of exercises like that? Because I know my audience loves hearing this kind of stuff that they can actually like uh, put to use in their real life.
1: Okay, sure. Um, So first of all, I've got some good news is that one really great way when we think about um, our mental health, you really want to think about it as brain health. So there's lots of really good things that we can do, first and foremost, just in terms of brain health. And the first one is something that everybody, I think, needs to consider, and that's their sleep hygiene. Because if you are not getting a good night's sleep, then you're going to have difficulty during the day regulating your moods and regulating your emotion. Because it's through sleep. I want to, If you think about sleep as... Um, during the day, you're building up, you're having that distress that I talked about. And you're building up this sort of toxic distress in your brain. When you're sleeping at night, then the garbage man have time to get in, clear it out, process it. If you don't give them time, the next morning you're gonna wake up and you're not, you're not working with a clean slate, right? So first and foremost, take a look at your sleep hygiene, make sure you're not getting the right, make sure you are getting the right amount of sleep. And then if you're not, look at your sleep habits. So are you using screen time, too close to bed, coffee, alcohol? You say, like, go online and find out what does it mean to have a good sleep? Because sleep is the number one important thing for mental health. Number two is your diet. And so, again, if you think about your brain and your body, your body and your brain use glucose for energy. And your brain is your body's biggest consumer of glucose. And so what happens is if your glucose levels uh, are not stable, that's when you have problems with your mood. And so another way to make sure your glucose uh, levels are stable besides sleep is good nutrition and just making sure that most of the time that you're eating enough good macronutrients to supply that energy that your brain needs. Mm -hmm. Third One that there's a lot of great research on now is exercise. And exercise, and I don't mean physical activity. Physical activity, like going for a walk is great. Exercise, I'm talking about getting breathless, getting your heart rate up. And if you get enough exercise, 120 minutes to 150 minutes a week, then that again keeps your glucose levels very stable and is excellent for brain health. And in fact, exercise is considered a standard treatment now for depression. And when I say standard treatment, I'm talking about a treatment that has a lot of research evidence. So medication, cognitive behavioral therapy, exercise, standard treatments for depression. Then you have complementary. Those are things that are helpful, but don't have the same amount of research support. So that's like socializing, managing your screen time. We know those are important. And then there's alternative treatments. And those are treatments that perhaps... Um, you know, are out there, but don't yet have the research behind them. So, but exercise is a standard treatment for many mental health challenges. And so if you look at your sleep, your nutrition, and your exercise, then those are really important things. And then social connection. And I think, you know, one of the problems now with technology is we don't reach out and have that kind of social connection that we need to. And so that's another important thing to consider for your mental health. But in terms of interventions like counseling interventions, there's a whole uh, host of different kinds of strategies you can use. I use what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, and that is looking at the relationship between your thinking and your feelings and your behavior. And so how we perceive or how we think about something will impact how we feel about it, and that will impact the choices that we make. So for example, I could be driving in my car and somebody honks the horn. And if I think, what's he honking at me for? I'm not doing anything. Uh, I might get mad and start honking back. I might get road rage. I might swerve, you know, chase him down. I don't know how bad somebody's road rage is, but somebody could honk at me and I could think to myself, oh, I wonder who else did something wrong and not think it's me. Or I could think maybe he's having a bad day because I didn't do anything wrong. Therefore, I stay calm, and therefore, I might ignore the honking. So how we think about something impacts that feeling and the choices that we make. So I teach people some ways. This is what we need to remember, that when we have a feeling, it's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily, it's real. The feeling is real, but it might not be a match for what the situation is. Our brain, again, thinking about our brain is wired for safety. That's the number one job our brain has, is to keep us safe. So it's always looking for threat and making sure it's emotional threat or physical threat. But when we have a a feeling, it could be our brain over-perceiving some threat when there's none, right? So we have to say, uh, you know, is this really in line with what's happening, this feeling that I'm having? And the same thing with our thinking. We have automatic thoughts, just like pop-ups on a computer just because we think it doesn't make it true so we have to test our thoughts against the weight of the evidence is it you know again somebody's honking at me what's the evidence that i've done something wrong that 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 person is honking at me i want to test that before i react to it so cbt is all about thinking about your thinking and thinking about your feelings and managing them knowing that you have some control over that understanding that most of our automatic thoughts come from core beliefs that we have about ourselves that we've developed since childhood so if you developed a core belief around something like um, i'm only valuable when i help other people then those automatic th- that impacts our automatic thoughts oh i have to help this person well do you really maybe that's a time to set a good boundary maybe that person's taking advantage of you So in CBT, what I try to do is help people look at their core beliefs, their automatic thoughts, their feelings, in a way to manage the kinds of choices that we make. And what sort of aligns really nicely with that is a therapeutic approach called dialectical behavior therapy. And DBT was originally um, developed by Marshall Linehan for people actually who had uh, borderline personality disorder. But there's lots of super good skills in DBT that... That people can use and learn and um, the first basically um, with delectable behavior therapy or dbt there's a problem solving model and i love it i like to use it a lot so here's the here's the model number one is can you solve the problem so for example let's say nor that you're having um, a problem with your boss that you have a really challenging boss and he's making your life miserable and so Is there a way that you can solve that problem in counseling? Are there some skills that I could teach you or help you develop around communication, around setting boundaries, around letting your needs be known around collaboration? Are there some real skills that could help you solve that problem with your boss? But sometimes there's not. That's You're very skilled. You don't need any skills. You know how to talk to him. You've tried and he's just really difficult. So the second thing you can do is you could ask yourself, can I think about the problem differently? So yes, I have a hard boss, but you know what? I'm only doing this for two years. It's a great stepping stone. I'm learning a lot of other things. I can put up with this because I'm getting all these other benefits from it. So I'm going to think about my challenging boss differently. But sometimes you can't. You can't think about it differently. He's just an asshole. right? I cannot think about it differently. So the third thing you can do is just tolerate the fact, the emotions that come with having a difficult boss. You got to stay in the job. You don't have another job. You're looking for one. But in the meantime, you need the money. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to ground myself. I'm going to do some meditation. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do all the things that I need to do with my emotions so that I can manage my day without letting this boss of mine trigger me. All right. So my choice is do I can I learn a new skill? Can I think about it differently? Can I manage my emotions around the situation? Or number four, do nothing and stay miserable. But those are the skills that you learn in DBT, those three things. And so when we you and I talked before about meditation, meditation, any kind of grounding activity, super useful mindfulness in managing those emotions that we have day to day right? Because we're going to have them. We're going to have stressful situations. Our stress response gets activated. And it's good for people to understand that your stress response comes from your amygdala, your lower, you know, functioning brain. And what it does is it shuts down sometimes that ability to reason and problem solve in your higher level thinking. So you want to be able to to have those strategies to get out of your amygdala hijack, and into your thinking and those are the things like that deep breathing there's nothing better if i had said any the quickest thing go on find yourself a breathing app right yeah when you're upset fall do your box breathing do your steep breathing but it's it's free it's portable and the minute you feel a little bit upset you harness your breath and it gets you right back from your amygdala into where you can think and reason and be calm. So number one, if I was going to, what I teach people is I teach them, A, how to harness their breath. And the second good strategy I really try to teach people is how to schedule your worries. So when you are having upset thinking and it's getting uh, sort of uh, interfering with what you need to do right now, just schedule them in. So I get a worried thought. I say, okay, that's legit. It's something to worry about but I'm going to save that for when I have my tea at two o'clock from two to two fifteen is my worry time. Ha, ha. That thought go, it really does. It really works to say if every day you put a little box around and say, here's my worry time after lunch, after dinner, don't do it before you go to bed. Cause then you'll have bad dreams. Don't uh, do it in the morning because then that starts your day off. Maybe not right, but somewhere in the day say, I'm going to schedule my worries and I'm going to acknowledge them.
0: And then I'm going to let them go. Right. I love that. It's I've
1: tips. never, I know, it's a lot. It's like verbal diarrhea, but anyway.
0: No, no, that was so much valuable information. I love that all. I love that the schedule, the worry time. I've never even heard about that. Be like That's a right, great
1: strategy. I really, I, even when I was, when I was teaching, uh, I, you know, my students, I taught junior high and high school and they come in all upset after lunch break. And I'd say, oh, my gosh, that sounds like a terrible thing that happened. Uh, but it's math right now. So quickly write down what the problem is. And at three o'clock, we'll go over it. We'll talk about it. So I acknowledge that they had distress. They weren't. But I don't want it to get in the, in the way of learning. So just write it down so you don't forget because is super important. Oh, my gosh. They broke up. Write it down so you don't forget but this is when we're going to talk about it. Right. So just put some limits around that for yourself.
0: Yeah. I love that. I'm going to have to start doing that. Like uh, going to my punching room for my worry time. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's a great, uh, that's a really great uh, tip. I like that. And all those tips, I like cognitive behavioral therapy. I think it's just so amazing. Like question what you're thinking about the situation, especially. Yeah. And yeah, on top of that question, the, like the feelings, like understand that if the feelings that pop up aren't always true. I think that's, well, a... true.
1: we respond to them like they're true, but we have to know that, you know, there might be other ways. It was, there's many ways in one given situation that you can feel.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when I first started like meditating, maybe over a decade ago now, that was kind of like the first thing I started to learn was like, when when those rushes of uh, feeling would come up. And like, for me, it was like worry, anxiety, whatever it was, especially when I was doing comedy at first, like it would just pop up and I'm just like, like it would paralyze me. And it'd like, I, I would go on stage and I would just be completely just flustered and running over my words and just, you know, I would go bomb and it would be like, it would be horrible. But I remember that was like a big thing I would learn with meditation was just like, seeing that emotion come up and just kind of understanding that that's kind of not part of me it created that distance yeah. and then adding that with my breathing it like it really made me like uh, learn how to do that and become more calm and like yeah and then become more free with it cuz now when i don't have those worries when i'm on stage all of a sudden i'm a lot more authentic and people can kind of sense that with me and that's a lot better
1: that's a beautiful term and uh, in terms of creating some space Because that's exactly what you're doing. You're creating some space from you and your feelings and your thinking. And when we create that space, we can manage them better, right? And it's not to say you're not acknowledging, you're validating. Validating your own feelings is really important. When they come up, you can name them, right? This, oh, I'm feeling this way. But you just don't don't have to stay with them. It's normal. Okay, I'm going to go, you know, it's normal to feel a little, um, um, worried about how you're going to perform and say i'm worried right now that's normal but i've got this let it go and the same thing when we're working with other people is a really good strategy is learning how to validate others feelings in addition to your own and so when i'm working with somebody and they're really upset the first thing that i always do is i try to validate what's happening for them in a, for, on a feelings level so i say wow you know, you sound really frustrated right now, or I'm, I'm hearing that you're really sad or upset about what's happened. When you start with feelings, then you can move to some kind of solution. So you can say, wow, you sound really frustrated right now. Have you thought about how you're going to manage that? Right? So ask them first, have you thought about how you're, what you're going to do? If they say, I don't know, just say, well, are you, you know would you be interested in an idea that i have i know somebody who had a similar situation ask permission to give people advice mm-hmm. validate their feelings is connecting with their right brain first when you validate their feelings then you can move to the left brain into some problem solving always ask if they've got an answer first if they don't ask permission to give them some support those are three really simple steps in communicating with others and, and in terms of thinking and feeling.
0: That's a very interesting. And yeah, I guess when you validate their feelings, that's kind of pulling you out of the amygdala a little bit, right?
1: Yes, exactly. It's creating that space again. So, you know, I have a parent comes to me and they're furious at me and I say, wow, you know, you, you sound like you're really, really angry right now. And, you know, you must really love your child to be this angry at me. And that sort of like knocks the wind out of them. They're like, oh, you know, like, wow. Like she's not, I'm not getting angry back. I'm respecting the fact that this is how they're feeling right now. But without judgment, wow, you must be really angry right now. Right. And that is very calming and creates that space that you talked about for that, for you and that person.
0: Mm -hmm. And I have, I've noticed that too, when um, I used to get in fights when I was younger, just more of like verbal fights anytime that I match the anger of the person that I'm fighting with, it was just, we would just end up like just blowing up at each other. And it's just anger, anger, anger. And we would just go until we both run out of energy. But when when I did like come at it with a little bit of calmness, that definitely shut down their anger eventually. And they just ended up slowing down.
1: Yeah. And you have to always be willing to listen, right? We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We don't, Mm -hmm enough.
0: We want to get into giving advice too quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't that's, uh, that's uh, very true. Very true. Uh, and I, I do love this. um Like cognitive behavioral therapy, I think it is like the one thing I do love about it is just the whole questioning of how you think of a situation. Like that's the first step in everything. Um, this is the very like, uh essential step for all of us just in our whole life is just to understand like whatever situation we're going into how are we thinking about it what are our thoughts about it and this is where meditation helps because sometimes we're not even aware about our thoughts about a situation so we do have to do a little bit of that inner work um and sometimes journaling helps or whatever it is exactly and uh, or talking to somebody like like you said like talking to somebody your inner thoughts will come out and sometimes you'll feel it when you, when it comes out of you, like, Oh shit, that was, I didn't know I was thinking like that, but uh, I, I love that whole aspect of it. Um, I, I do remember reading a couple of books too on like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and like schools and stuff now. And a few people I remember were complaining about like how sometimes now schools are kind of teaching kids kind of to maybe be afraid a lot more easily and uh, kind of to be more judgmental of each other with just some of the uh, things they talk about. Uh, do, you, do you see that now that you work in a school board, like we might be spreading a little bit more anxiety of just the way how we kind of teach each other to look at each other now?
1: I hope not. <laughs> um, you know, I can not speak for every school board, but I think in general, for example, when I talked about the mental health literacy curriculum, that's teaching kids, giving them important information. Um, it's a curriculum for grade nines that's used in Alberta and actually across Canada. And another great curriculum that many school boards used is called Mind Up. And that's teaching, um, that was developed by Goldie Hahn. And she wanted to look at meditation from a brain-based lens, not a religious lens, and be teaching kids those concepts of their amygdala and their prefrontal cortex and how to be mindful, live mindfully, act mindfully. Um, we do a lot of social emotional learning programs in our schools where we teach students interpersonal effectiveness and how to get along with each other. I think, to be honest, and I'm biased, obviously, um, that schools are working hard to mitigate the influence of media Mm. and social media and community that we have this judgment and the standards uh, that we promote um, many myths around mental health. In schools, we're trying to help students to be critical thinkers, to be able to consume this information um, in a way that they're not judgmental. Uh, We want to teach kids to be emotionally agile. Um, So I would say that kids are coming to us this way and in schools that we are trying hard to, to mediate that, to give students the skills that they need uh, to not be so influenced um, by collective thinking, and then think for themselves a little bit.
0: Okay, yeah. And uh, it is true that I guess that social media just, and just media in general, just adds a completely different layer to your job, because it has. Uh, yeah, and
1: it's yeah. more complex.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think, honestly, with a lot of our mental health issues, it comes from just like looking at social media and kind of comparing your life to other people's life. And then that just can like how you think about a situation that like, it's the first thing we're talking about. That makes you think about your own situation and the worst possible because you're just comparing it to the best parts of other people's lives. Right.
1: Yeah. So that's where a lot of judgment I think happens. So I, I hope, and obviously schools are imperfect. We're, we're humans
0: mm-hmm. we're
1: trying, we're aware of that and we're trying our best to help students with those kind of thinking skills, they need um, to be reasonable, effective adults in the future.
0: Okay, that's uh, that's great. All right, I do want to talk before uh, I ask you the question of the podcast. But before that, I, I do want to like talk about a little bit about dealing with death because I, I I know as a psychologist, you probably helped a lot of people with this, um, like it's been a weird year for me. Like my dad uh, had a really massive stroke and uh, during Christmas time and he's still in the hospital, he's getting better, thankfully, but it's, yeah, that was such a tough thing. And then just last week, uh, uh, one of my like best comedy friends, like Andrew Albert, I know a lot of comedians listen to this podcast. So like they probably know him. It's been like a really tough, like he passed away and like, it's been a really tough one for like the whole comedy community And, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, how how do you, like, help people when it comes to these, like, death, which is a part of life, right? Like, this is something we all go through. That's
1: right. So, first of all, my condolences on the loss of your friend and member of your comedy community. That's a very sad loss for everybody, for sure, especially his family and friends. Um, But, yeah, you know, when we go back to talking about mental health problems, death is the biggie, right? Death is... the the concept that causes people a lot of worry. Uh, It's sad for us when it happens. And I think the thing is that we want to acknowledge exactly what you say is that death is part of life and we we can't sugarcoat it and we can't make it better. When you lose somebody you love, it's very, very challenging. And even when you're dealing with, as you say, your father, uh, who's been critically ill, that those are things in life that are really hard. But to talk about death in general, I'll just talk a little bit about the concept of grief and loss. And many people are probably familiar with um, the older way that we used to conceptualize grief and loss, looking at uh, the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And that is where she would, she hypothesized that we went through different emotions when we uh, experienced a loss. So first you're angry about the loss and then you're sad about it and you go through these emotions and and you move on. But nowadays we tend to look at grief and loss a little bit differently. And we look at it in terms of tasks and there's three tasks involved and they're not linear. I want to say that right off and they can happen and there's not an end to them. So the first task is to process the loss. And so when somebody dies, obviously when you're first processing that person's death, the sadness in you is acute It's very, very powerful. But you will have to process that death of your colleague. It's Andrew, Andrew? Yes. Andrew, many times. So now everybody's very, very sad about it. But let's say, you know, three years from now, you hear somebody say a joke and it reminds you of Andrew. And you think, oh my gosh, you know, Andrew would think this is hilarious. And then you go, oh, but but Andrew's dead. Andrew's gone. So you feel a little bit sad because you're remembering that he's no longer with you. So processing somebody's death happens for the rest of your life in different moments. You remember them, you wish they were here, and you have to, and you have to remind yourself that that person is gone. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. Sometimes people think, oh, once you've um, gone through every birthday, the first birthday, first Christmas, good, you shouldn't be sad, move on. No, we never move on. From that, in that way, it gets less um, acute. It's not as painful, but you'll always feel some degree of sadness when you lose somebody that you love. And you might always feel a little angry at something or someone when you think about that loss. And so just accept the emotions that come with it and know there's no right or wrong feeling. The second task is to learn to live your new life without that person. You will never go back to normal. That person is gone. So you have to learn the new way to move forward without that person in your life. So how how are you going to do that? Because, again, we often think, oh, I can't wait for life to go back to normal. Well, it doesn't. Normal was when that person was there. Now what does your life look like without that person? What are the things that you need to do to be able to function and to move on? And then the third task is to honor the memory of that person in your new life. So, if you think about uh, your friend Andrew, what are some ways that the comedy community can honor Andrew's memory? What are some things that you can do? You know, uh, you know, if he <clears throat> thinking about, you know, what the cause of death he was, you know, to set, to raise, have a fundraiser for that, to to have his name up, um, you know, before a big com, a funny fest or something like that. So, what are some ways that you can honor his memory? So those are the tasks that we have to do. We have to process that that person is gone. We have to learn to live without them. And we have to find ways to honor their memory in our new life. And when you think about that, you just are normalizing it and not putting any pressure on yourself to get over it. And then we have sometimes what's called complicated grief. And that is, you know, if you don't maybe have a lot of social supports or the loss of that person was highly traumatic, A year from now, or even six months from from the death, let's say, for example, you still can't get out of bed because you're so upset or you're not getting to work, you've lost your job, you're having huge impact, then you might want to seek some counselling support. Maybe there's some reasons why you're having difficulty processing or difficulty moving on. But you don't need counselling because somebody died. And we have in schools and in community what we call crisis response teams. And the old thinking when we had a crisis response team is that when somebody uh, in a school died, we rush and have like eight counselors waiting for, um, you know, waiting to be helpful. But we realized that that made things worse when kids saw all these counselors in the building. So you have to let the natural supports do their job first. You have to let the family and friends grieve together. If they have church, you have to let the church be part of the grieving process. You have to let your comedy community grieve together. You don't need a counsellor to be sad. You don't need a counsellor to help you through grief. Unless, as I say, you know, many months go by and you're not functional, you're not doing the tasks you need to, then I would say seek counselling. But you know, we have something happen, and right away, uh, a parent will say, "Oh, my child needs counseling because their grandma died." Well, I say, "Are there marks falling? Did they drop out the football team? Like, is there something happening?" Because you don't need counseling just because you're grieving. And I think that's an important thing that people need to know. We don't trust ourselves, and we don't trust our natural supports as enough. We always think a professional needs to help us
0: mm-hmm.
1: normal parts of life and as i said at the beginning no you've got this you've all got this and and believe in your abilities to to manage your emotions
0: no oh, thank you that's a uh, wonderful <laughs> advice debbie thanks um yeah and I, I like how you were talking about like to actually memorialize um his death kind of like live on with it and like I, I I I like uh after he died, I did remember seeing everyone talking about him. And the one thing I noticed about Andrew is like he's always been so encouraging and complimentary of so many other comics in the Canadian comedy community. And like I, that's one thing I'm like, I, I remember that uh from the guy and I know I'm just I'm gonna do that more in my life. I <laughs> like um, you know, I, I wanna like uh be a lot more like that because that is one thing everybody remembered from him and I think that's like a good thing to be remembered for
1: yeah you know that's really important if you know that he's was so encouraging for you to say I'm going to step into that now and be an encourager as well that's a beautiful thing
0: Mm. and the other thing I liked is like uh, and I think uh, people who are listening to this podcast I think it should be a big uh, takeaway from this episode is you were talking about even with death all those feelings that come up it's the same thing like you can't like don't judge the feeling nothing is wrong or right they're all going to kind of come up and it's just like you kind of got to let them come up to allow the processing to take place and uh i think if we're going to take a lesson from this episode at least that should be the biggest one is allow your feelings to come up and don't fight them and allow them and look at them and just kind of uh be non-judgmental with them and yeah. that's like probably the healthiest thing you can do absolutely all right well debbie i gotta ask you the uh the name of the podcast big question uh so debbie god yay
1: or nay god yay
0: oh all right (laughs) all right nice 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 all right or were you did you were you ever like uh religious at all or is it uh is this something from your background or is it just something you just kind of always believed
1: well, I um, I just like to think that you know the human condition is is complicated and messy, and I like to think that there's something bigger mm. than this. That there's something bigger in our universe. I don't I don't know what it looks like, and I, I don't judge anybody's belief, but I like to believe that there's more than this. I think it instills hope in in me right now in in being able to manage. Um, to manage life to manage life is messy and, and i feel like there's somebody there in whatever form my guardian angel who helped support me through this and so yeah i that's why i would say yay to that awesome
0: no i think that's a nice belief uh all right debbie uh thanks so much for this this was so it's such an amazing podcast i loved uh, so much information um. Uh, yeah, do you have anything you want to promote or if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you for maybe your private practice or anything like that? Uh, it's up to you. I don't know. This is going to be public. Oh, yeah. so I don't know what, uh, what, uh, how much you want to uh, let out there of your information. I yeah, know. I mean,
1: I, I'm not I'm doing this because I have an interest in mental health. I'm not going to promote anything, but I will say there's a lot of great helplines out there. And so if anybody listening is struggling uh, with their mental health that uh, the this, Stress this Line, uh, Calgary Counseling Center, everybody has some, you go online, there's many good uh, phone um, connections, phone support that you can get that can guide you into some immediate support and also uh, into finding somebody that might be the right fit. They can make recommendations for you. I just wanna say, you know, talk openly about mental health. We all have it. There's no shame, there's no judgment. And, and just reach out if you are struggling
0: any way. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Debbie, that was a great podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. All right, that was another episode. Thanks for
0: listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at Noor Y on Instagram. Or check out my website, noorkidwy.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. And all that other information. We're part of the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay
1: or Nay.